Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Russ Terry, founder and CEO of Life Coach Radio Network. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lifecoach radio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoach radio. And now here's today's show. Good afternoon everyone and welcome to today's episode of Making Inspired Choices with Coach Linda. I'm your host, Linda Stevens Jones, and I'm delighted that you are a part of our audience today. Let me start out by thanking all of you who tuned in to the last broadcast with Reverend Dr. Marshall Osbury. Thank you all for all of your warm comments and feedback. I'll give you a link later in the show in case you missed the January 26th broadcast. You can still hear that one and other previous episodes. Since our show is recorded for replays, let me say hello and thanks to our listeners who are not with us live, but who have made time to listen to the show's replay. So hello to all of you out there. For our first-time listeners today, this is a -a twice-a-month broadcast on the second and fourth Tuesdays at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. As I mentioned, I'm Linda Stevens-Jones, a certified Christian life coach. This broadcast was envisioned not just as a radio show, but as a community where everyone is welcome. It's all about being who we are, sharing our challenges and triumphs, getting support, and lifting each other up with words of encouragement. We all need that sometimes, right? As a matter of fact, the very idea that this program could reach people who may feel discouraged, lonely or not accepted or understood, it's what made me say yes when I was invited to be a host last fall. So if you are someone going through a tough or challenging season of life, we're here for you. We seek to understand and uplift you, never to judge you. So sit back and listen, and I hope your heart will be touched today. The other thing that's great about this broadcast is it's new. And I'm open to your ideas for broadcast topics and guests who want to share their stories. So I'll get my contact info listed at the end of the show, and I enjoy getting your inputs on what you'd like to hear. You're in for a very special treat with my guests today, Mark and Brenda Moore. They will be joining us in a short while, and I believe you'll walk away with some insights that will move and inspire you. But first, remember in the last broadcast, we talked with Pastor Osbury about dealing with multiple challenges at one time and how it can feel overwhelming sometimes, especially coping and trying to make desired changes all at the same time. Well, today, I'd like to hone in on when the challenges are around your health. 
what do you do when a family member is faced with a major health challenge? How do you cope with the myriad of types of information coming at you by medical professionals while at the same time you have to continue to care for other family members and yourself? What helps you to cope in that type of uncertainty and when you're not in control of what's happening? And maybe some of you listening have actually been the individual in your family who survived a major illness. How do you cope when you're suddenly faced with an unexpected diagnosis? Does anyone listening relate to being in those shoes at some point? Where you or your beloved got a pretty striking diagnosis? When Mark and Brenda Moore join us shortly, I'm sure they will have a lot of insights to share from their own personal experiences. Of particular importance today is for our listeners to do some reflection around a particular health challenge, just the thought of the health challenge. What gives you the resilience to withstand it, to keep getting up, to face what can seem like insurmountable challenges, What beliefs or feelings drive your days? Is it fear, anger, helplessness, your level of pain each day? Is it family support, prayer, the plans for your future, faith, finding something to be thankful for? What is it? that drives you forward to getting well or to the necessary adjustments you have to make to live a longer life. As a coach, I'm naturally curious, and one of the ways I help clients with any issues is to get them to pause and consider thought-provoking questions. That's one of the reasons I like to throw these questions at you all. So I think our pondering these kinds of questions around health and health challenges can be helpful to someone who may have health challenges right now or ahead of them or for their family members. I'd love to think that what we discuss here may lessen the stress or the burden of the challenges of someone who is listening. So here are a few of my thoughts. When major health challenges strike, the affected family member and loved ones all seem to do some quick reprioritizing of time, resources, and energy, right? I'm thinking most of you would agree with that, at least in theory. But I think we do it practically as well. A health challenge poses an unchosen albeit still valuable time to take stock of what you're spending your time on. And whether your time is spent on what you value most in your life, whatever that is, we can tell because we naturally long for our love, we naturally long for it 
We long for our loved one's presence, for example, in those times when our health is at serious risk. So I can't help but to ask, what would it be like if we spent our time without a health challenge prioritizing on what we value most? Hmm. You know, and sometimes a part of the requirement for recovery or healing is to give up some aspect of our diet or lifestyle that we may have already felt prompted was not the most healthy or not really longevity-focused kind of living. So I'm just wondering what would happen if all of us, me included, if we begin to give some attention to what we know is our risk factors or the promptings that something needs to be checked out regarding our health. Again, I'm throwing myself under the bus as well if I'm throwing anyone else under the bus about not being proactive enough. But how do you decide what to focus on when you have the major health challenges? And again, how do you keep going in the midst of a health challenge? Where do you get the courage and the resilience to keep getting up, to keep fighting, keep moving forward through it. This is something I'm going to let Mark and Brenda talk about. <laughs> they have first-hand experience. Let me introduce them right now. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my great pleasure to have as my special guest today Mark and Brenda Moore. Let me begin with Brenda, then I'll talk about Mark, and then some of the inspiring work that they are doing together. Brenda is a retired registered nurse who enjoyed a professional career in obstetrics and pediatrics and recruiting for over 20 years. She currently sits on the Health Foundation Board the Nursing Philanthropy, Philanthropy Council, and the Patient Experience Advisory Committee for Innova's Health System. She is a patron supporter for Hopkins House Early Childhood Learning Center in Alexandria, Virginia, devoting time and treasure as a trustee board member. Brenda also volunteers and serves as a writing coach at the D.C. chapter of the Posse Foundation. When Brenda has downtime, she loves reading, travel, dancing, and aspires to write fiction novels for young people. Mark Moore sits on numerous major boards. Some of those boards are the Innova Healthcare Services, the National Symphony Orchestra, and the John Leland Center for Theological Studies. Mark's degree is in accounting. He was the Chief Operating Officer, Executive Vice President, and partner slash owner of Segovia Incorporated, a company that provided global IP services to the Department of Defense. 
With over 30 years of operational and financial experience, he oversaw engineering, operations, and finance. During his career, Mark helped to raise over $2 billion in public and private capital. That billion with a B. <laughs> and as chief financial officer and founder at MindShift Technologies, Mark helped to raise over $40 million in private equity and developed a business plan for the utility computing business. As chief financial officer of USA Communications, Mark completed their IPO raising $225 million in public equity and a billion dollars in total capital. Mark and Brenda, who are high school sweethearts, have been married over 32 years. They have a son, Marcus, and a daughter, Janie, and a beloved one-year-old grandson, Julian. They are passionate philanthropists who together form the Mark and Brenda Moore and Family Foundation. The organization's maxim, Establishing Roots and Stretching Wings, honors their parents and provides a legacy for their children to continue good works. The Moors champion advancements in healthcare, education, music and the arts, and Christian evangelism. Mark and Brenda are founding donors for the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American History and Culture, which opens later this year here in Washington, D.C. They are members of the Director's Circle of the Alvin Ailey Dance Theater. The couple co-chaired the Innova Mount Vernon Hospital Steering Committee for Expansion, which resulted in a five-story expansion facility that opened in the fall of 2014 and was named the Mark and Brenda Moore Patient Tower in their honor. This dynamic duo co-chaired Innova Hospital System's Gala Weekends in 2013 and 2014, which raised over $2 million each year. Their foundation funded the radiology unit of Innova's Innova Loudoun Hospital's new emergency department, which opened in 2013, Mark and Brenda enjoy their roles as servant leaders for the Antioch Baptist Church's youth ministry and evangelism ministry. Their foundation provides a yearly endowment for deserving Antioch students, pursuing continuing and higher education, in addition to other programs supporting college scholars. Lastly, I'll mention the Moors recently got involved with the Community Coalition for Haiti, helping to supply medical equipment, health care training, and clean water to villages in Haiti. They plan to visit Haiti on a building and training expedition next month, and they will be honorary chairs for the annual spring fundraising dinner for the Community Coalition for Haiti this April. As I'm sure you can tell, Mark and Brenda are passionate about giving their time, sharing their expertise, and investing resources in causes that directly and positively impact people's lives. 
Mark and Brenda, welcome to the Making Inspired Choices radio show. It's such a pleasure to have you as my guest. Thank you, Linda. We're honored and just joyful to be with, joining you today. Thank you, Linda. We are, we are, we are overjoyed to be here this, this afternoon. Mm. Your being here today supports my vision and intention for this broadcast to grow a community that gives hope, to inspire, and even challenge listeners to make the kind of choices that move their lives forward. I know that what you share today will contribute greatly to that vision. You're taking time out of your demanding schedules to be here. is deeply appreciated. So let's jump right in. <laughs> I have to tell you, what jumped out at me as I read your incredible biographies is that you are individually and together leading, giving, sharing, and investing in making people's lives better. Your bios are full of what you're doing right now, today, to have an impact in the areas that matters to you. And that is very impressive and, and inspiring. Um, we have so much to talk about, but for context to your busy lives today, what would you say has been one of the common themes of your lives up to this point? Well, being a uh, true Baptist, I have uh, maybe three that come to mind right away. Um, the first um, is to be humble and knowing that you can learn um, something from everybody and um, just really pay attention and be um, available. The second really um, is probably the most prominent is um, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And mm -hmm. um, the third, as we grew up, I think we learned um, to make sure that we wrap everything in prayer. Okay. Okay. Mark, what would you say? Um, any particular common things different for you? No, I, I say what Brenda said clearly carries for both of us. The other word I would use would be resilience. Um, in life, you know, sometimes you're knocked down and you got to be able to, you know, get back up and continue moving forward. So I would say that's a common thing that you'll probably hear from both of us as, as we move on. Mm, okay. Have you two always had philanthropy on your radar? Or tell us what led you to, to become philanthropist. You know, we always had it on the radar, Linda, and I would say after, um, which we'll touch on later, um, after the, uh, the health scare in 2007, it moved to the mm -hmm. forefront for sure, uh, simply because our lives were changing and we, we felt God's presence and we felt that, you know, Jesus Christ's hands. But Having said that, philanthropy was always on the radar, but certainly we're doing much more today than we ever would have had we not felt his presence in 2007. Okay. And I think that's what Mark was saying. Um, we've always been encouraged to serve growing up. You know, um, our parents taught us that very early, um, especially mm -hmm. in church and, and in school, the community and scouting, things like that. So we learned that mm -hmm. while you serve, you, you know, you were move out of yourself and you give of yourself. And ironically, that's kind of when you discover yourself the best. 
I, I, that, I can relate to that. I definitely want to talk about the Mark and Brenda Moore and Family Foundation and its maxim, establishing roots and stretching wings. Mark, give us a little background on how you chose that as your maxim. Certainly. And and, and that, that is a perfect uh, case in point, Linda, of the fact that clearly our life changed after, after the events of 2007. We decided to create this Family Foundation and really, it was really about honoring our our parents and creating a mm-hmm. legacy for our children as we move forward. Um, our parents did so much for us, and the fact of the matter is we know we would not be here today if it wasn't for our parents, our brothers and sisters, and a lot of family and friends that have supported us along the way. And as such, we know we have an obligation to honor their legacy and we also have an obligation mm-hmm. to create a legacy for our children as we go forward. And that's how we created the Family Foundation. Mm. I This establishing roots and stretching wings, though, that sounds like very, very select wording. Uh, the and establishing roots. Go ahead. And, and it is, Linda, and I have to give Brenda credit for that as we went through it. Um, the Roots was a, as a way of signifying us reaching back to honor the legacy of our parents. And the Wings mm-hmm. was a way of signifying that we're going to reach out to try to, to touch others' lives to make a difference. Beautiful. Beautiful. Your maxim brings to mind the fact that our nation is in the midst of its annual Black History Month observance. What is that observance? What does uh, set the set-aside of February as Black History Month mean to you? Well, our our history affects everyone, um, and it's not just um, simply Black history or African-American history. Um, our nation was built by the mental and physical um, life forces uh, and energy of our ancestors of color um, and the contribution should be, uh, you know, taught and shared truthfully with everyone, which is really one of the purposes of the Smithsonian African American Museum of um, History and Culture. We, we also <laughs> remember that civil, the civil rights movement um, was fought for not just black people, but for everyone um, who was underserved. And um, that was something that really was brought out by Dr. King. So that was that's really what I think the, the history means to us and why this month is so important. Excellent. Understand where you're coming from. I have to ask, uh, are there particular persons, when you look back um, over your growing up years, are there particular persons uh, of African-American history whose contribution whose contributions may have been a source of ongoing inspiration for you? Um, well, Brenda, let me start with you. Yeah. Um, Linda, you know, Dr. King, of course, comes to mind right away, the civil rights movement mm-hmm. and his leadership um, and his peaceful observances. Rosa Parks, who was a leader in, in doing something that no one would have thought to do. But there are a few that I think really kind of drive um, why we're so interested in the arts and, and culture. Um, for instance, uh, Maya Angelou, who I love um, and have, have um, aspired to being a writer after her um, own style. And, um, mm-hmm. of course, 
you know, people like George Washington Carver and Dr. Charles Drew, who kind of inspired me to want to go into medicine and, and represent in that way. So those are people that we don't often think of. But um, how about um, Dr. Carter G. Woodson, who actually was the gentleman who um, started the um, African-American history or black history or Negro history back then. Um, mm-hmm. That first started the whole um, movement and moving us yes. to um, being included in um, textbooks even. Yes, you are absolutely right. How about you, Mark? Are there any particular persons whose contributions have been inspiring to you? Uh, yes. And for me, um, obviously, uh, Dr. King was one. I would say Muhammad Ali was the other. And then Jackie Robinson was the third. And Dr. Mm-hmm. King, obviously, what he did, the Civil Rights Movement was was certainly a wonderful, heartfelt gesture but the one thing that always stood out to me, as I, you know, and Dr. King said many things that resonated, but one thing that resonated was when he used to say that, you know, if I'm going to be a street sweep, a street sweeper, I want to be the best street sweeper there ever was. And I always remember that, Linda. And as I went mm-hmm. through my life, you know, I never uh, initially, I, I didn't imagine getting into the corporate world. But once I got into the corporate world, I remember that saying, I simply wanted to be the best I could possibly be no matter what it was. Mm-hmm. And Muhammad Ali, while he was a wonderful boxer um, and, and certainly admired his boxing, what really stood out was the fact that he stood up for what he believed, and that was important. Um, and and as, I, as I look back on it, I'm like, you know, I, that's a lesson we all must remember as we go through life. And then Jackie mm-hmm. Robinson, the breaking the, the, the color line in, in, in Major League Baseball and all the things he had to endure but he endured it with dignity and professionalism, and not once did he ever let it be known that, hey, things got to him. Yes, yes, I, I definitely relate, understand. Um, Brenda, you and I share one because uh, George Washington Carver was uh, just a source of inspiration and continues to be to this day for me. Um uh-huh. I'm sure I speak for tons of other people when I say thank you, thank you to both of you for being a founding donor for the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Without you all being founding donors, that museum might not be opening later this year. So just great, great appreciation, again, on behalf of uh, people who will come for years and years and generations following who will be able to have a a way to embrace and understand uh, our history and culture through that museum. Can you say a word, uh, Mark, about what prompted you all to become a founding donor? Oh, certainly. And and first of all, we are very, very thankful, and we thank God every day that he's allowed us to be in in this, this particular situation. You know, the fact of the matter is, Linda, you know, I was I was born in Jamaica Queens in New York. Um I was one of of eight children, um a family of 10. Um my mm-hmm. my father worked, my mother was a was a a stay-at-home mom. Um we didn't have mm-hmm. much, we struggled. And the fact of the matter is I never imagined um in my wildest dreams that Brenda and I would be in a position where we could be founding donors for the National Museum of African American History and Culture. So we sit today mm-hmm. And we are absolutely honored that we were that we were able to be a part of that. But 
when they approached us back in 2010, what really resonated with us was the fact that mm-hmm. this was a museum. First of all, I'll be honest with you, Linda, we were shocked when they first when they first approached us that there wasn't a museum that was dedicated to African Americans. I'll be honest with you. And I'm, we sat mm-hmm. there I'm like, there is an African American museum. They're like, no, there isn't. This will be it. Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, then we want to be a part of this. And when they told the story that it it really wasn't just African American museum, what the museum was going to do was tell the story of the African American experience here in the United States through everyone's eyes. And we decided yeah. that's something that we want to be a part of because we think it's important as we go through life, you know, the story will, you know, you know, let's face it, you know, people come and go and it's important mm-hmm. that people after us and offer them to know the story, there's got to be museums and, and books that will sufficiently tell the story so people can know what happened before them. And I think that resonates yeah. with us. Wow. Excellent. Wonderful for, for all of those who will benefit, um, like I said, in many, many years and generations to come, I thank you. Uh, you two champion such a diverse range of causes, all of which have far-reaching impact, health care, education, music and the arts, and Christian evangelism. Brenda, how did this particular po- portfolio of causes come together as the focus of your foundation? Well, when we developed the um, idea of starting something um, to uh, allow um, for us to contribute, we wanted to um, develop something that would allow us to bring forth what we are aspiring to. So um, at the beginning, we thought about how have we been blessed? And and since we have been blessed, shouldn't others be blessed um, because of what we do? So we decided Mm -hmm. that... um, you know, we share opportunity, faith, and culture. That's important to us. We want to make sure that folks are aware of what, where, what our driving forces are. Um, telling others about the Lord has always been a calling for us. Um, we haven't, uh, we've, we've learned a lot in how to do that, um, and we're still working on um, our strength in that, and so the Lord is guiding us there. But we also know that um, education is power and that adequate health care is our, you know, is a resource that everyone should have, a, you know, a chance at. And um, mm-hmm. the dying arts are something that we aren't seeing in, in our schools, in our communities. We wanted to make sure that we could uplift, encourage, um, and help people to create and grow. So those were um, just hallmarks for us, and we thought this would be a way for mm-hmm. the entire community to um, take advantage of what we um, have to offer. Mm-hmm. Very powerful. Um, Mark, it must be tremendously rewarding to have this this kind of a vision to positively impact areas that can reach the needs of so many people. And with yours being a family foundation as well, tell us how are your children involved? You know, our children, uh, well, first, the most important thing we we feel is that we're trying to lead by example, and we want them to see what we're doing so that they understand that this is something that they need to carry forward. Um, as we sit here today, they will attend events that Bruno and I will, will decide to sponsor, um, and they will get involved. Um, 
Brenda and I, we always talk about we want to give the, really the, the three T's, our time, our treasure, and our talent. Um, and, and so and that's what we try to focus on. So today mm-hmm. with, with our children, we try to get them to get involved to provide uh, their talent and their, and their time as well. So as we select um, uh, not-for-profit not um, and philanthropic um, endeavors to support, we bring them along to say, look, help us and learn about the organization, which is the most important thing, learn about the organization. And and mm-hmm. hopefully once um, Brenda and I have moved on to other things, that this will be something they will then carry on. Okay. Beautiful vision. Beautiful. You both have had tremendous um, private career success. Brenda, through your career as a nurse, across a number of different specialties, and Mark, in your executive positions and leadership in billion-dollar ventures and ventures in the corporate sector, I'm certain that when people meet you in your current season of life, they see you as success, 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 affluent, living on top of the world. As with my other guests, what they may not readily see is where you are today is not necessarily where you've always been. And you, you've already talked a little, Mark, about, you know, growing up, it wasn't like that. I mean, you had a, a number of siblings and, and there was struggle. But even since then, I expect that the two of you have had low points or major life challenges. Um, I know I know at least a little bit about uh, the health challenges that you had, Mark. So I'm I'm just inviting you now, if you would share, you know, a period when you were going through uh, a significant life challenge. Certainly, Linda. So back in 2007, um, January of that year, I began to experience severe migraine headaches, um, mm-hmm. so severe that I would get an aura effect. That if, if I was sitting talking to you, I could no longer focus or see you, and I would have to tell. I, most times, I was at work, that, and I would ask mm-hmm. my employees to just stop for a second until the migraine would go away. Well, this, the migraine occurred twice, and after the second one, I went to see a neurologist to ascertain what was going on. They ran a litany of tests, and what they determined was I had I had developed a blood deficiency, and because of this blood deficiency, my blood was clotting, and the blood clots were going to the, was, was obviously um, going to uh, uh, arteries in the brain, and this was causing these migraine headaches. Well, they didn't discover mm-hmm. that right away, and then and they ran a litany of tests. Did not did not know what was happening. And in May of that year, I suffered a stroke, and ended up, ended up being hospitalized. Um, and on a on a Saturday, and that following Monday, um, I suffered yet a second stroke. Ended up being in the hospital mm-hmm. for for six weeks, and then had to do three months of intensive re- rehabilitation after the six weeks of hospitalization. Um, and at the end of that, I found myself in a predicament where I could not walk. I had lost the use of my left side. Um, you know, I couldn't tie my shoes. Uh, I tell people, you know, you know, when people see me today and, and they had difficulty believing that that was the case in 2007, and what I told them was absolutely I was, I was in a very bad way in 2007. Mm-hmm. 
that is that is big. Um, looking back at that time period, Mark, when you were in the midst of the challenge you described, what were some of the things that you were saying to yourself? You know, and they change. Um, initially, um, you know, having um, had 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 a, a, a pretty successful corporate career, uh, initially it was very difficult to take, Linda, to mm-hmm. um, one day um, you know, go into the hospital, and and then from at least from my perspective, um, it seemed like everything happened overnight. Although I was in the hospital for six weeks before the bulk mm-hmm. of that six weeks time. I was in a um, medically induced coma, so I really huh. didn't know what was going on. And, and when I woke up, you know, it was kind of like, geez, you know, uh, six weeks have gone by. And when Brenda told me that I had suffered not one but two strokes, I, I'll be honest with you, initially, I was absolutely devastated. Um, you know, I was 46 at the time, you know, had my own company as a COO. I'll be honest with you, Linda, I was, I was just, I was devastated. Um, and mm-hmm. when Brent told me, you know, my initial reaction was, you know what, you know, I've, I've, I've had a pretty good life up to this point. You know, you know, if, if this is what it is, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that, that first night and, and thankfully for me, the, the first night, um, as I was sitting in that hospital contemplating, you know, Hey, you know, this is what, what, a, what a horrible, what a horrible stroke of, uh, of, of fate I had here. Mm-hmm. I remember something that my mother told me back in Jamaica, Queens, when I was a young young man, probably no more than, I'm going to say, you know, 11 or 12 at the time, some 35 years ago. Uh, my mother, mm-hmm. not just me, she told, she told all of our children that God only gives you what he knows you can handle. And um, and what she was referencing was 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And I remember that that night. had not thought of that for 35 years, Linda. And and luckily for me, um, that you know that somehow that did come to mind because that changed my attitude. And with that, I decided um, that first night, you know what? If God's given this to me, then He must think I can handle it, and and I'll do what I can, and I'll leave the rest to God. Really, you were able to just make the shift. And and luckily for me, I made that shift. Now, having said that, and, and what I tell people is, you know, it, from my perspective, this was a case of surrendering. Mm-hmm. I had to surrender. Mm-hmm. But, Linda, what I would tell you was um, that was simply the first day I surrendered. Um, surrendering occurs, you know, continuously, right? So that was mm-hmm. the first time I surrendered. But as I went through as I went through um, that health scare, Linda, I had to surrender continually. There were many days where I had to turn around and surrender yet again. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, Linda, which is difficult coming from um, uh, those of us in the cor- corporate world, because we we like to be in control, right? And, yes. um, and certainly, I, I'll speak for myself. I like to be in control, and, and I thought that part of my success in the corporate world was because I was in control. Well, this was the mm-hmm. instance where I was no longer in control, and I really needed to surrender. And you know, and that's a challenge. Um, and and you really have to. You know, and we we use the term. It's really is faith, right? You you really have to step back and go. You know what? I'm going to trust you, God. I'm I'm going to give it all up, and and I will trust you. So as you, I think that's a really 
powerful point that it's not one surrender when you're going through a health challenge. It's over and over surrendering. Absolutely. Um, I'm just I'm imagining at 46 uh, how life-changing, you know, to wake up and get the news of what has occurred and just to to be there in, in somewhat of a helpless uh, state, I, I'm imagining. Um, oh. Go ahead, Mark. Oh, it is um, it is absolutely life-changing. You know, Linda, um, in the medical profession, they talk about there's a range of emotions that, that people go through when they're faced with a, uh, a life-threatening illness. They talk about um, you, you go through anger and denial and fear. And but hope mm-hmm. in the backing. They they talk about acceptance and hope. And what mm-hmm. and what I tell people is absolutely, you know, for me I went through those. Um when initially oh there was anger. It, I didn't I didn't throw things in my around my room. I, I I didn't I didn't break break windows and throw bottles of glasses. But there was mm-hmm. an internal seething. I when Brenda told me what happened, oh I would internally I was angry. And and, and, mm-hmm. and Linda you asked the question, you know, why me? What did I do? Why me? Why, why am I going through this? Like, it makes no sense, right? You go through denial, you know. I even once you get through the anger, well, then you get in the, in, into the into the denial stage, you know. Because Linda, I had a stroke on Saturday, the Thursday before. I was playing full court basketball for two hours down at Falls Church High School. So to now hear this is very difficult that I can't walk because I'm like, I was just playing basketball like two days ago. What are you talking about? So you go through the night yeah. like that. This can't be. I, of course, I can walk. It can't be. And and Linda and, and and last but not least, you know, you go. This fair, you know. As you sit and realize you can't walk, you say to yourself, well, will, I, "Will I ever be able to walk again? Will I ever be able to go back to work again? Will I ever be able to drive again? Will I be able to do all the things I did before?" So you go through a lot. There's a lot that goes through through your mind. No two ways about it. But the important thing, Linda, they talk about the emotions on the back end, and they talk about acceptance and hope. And what I tell people, um, and, and, and I, I go, and from a medical profession, they use the terms acceptance and hope. For me, I use the terms surrendering and faith. Um, acceptance, mm-hmm. really for me, was about surrendering. I just needed to surrender, and I needed to trust in God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and in faith, Excuse me. And um, when they talk about hope, hope for me was mm-hmm. was faith. I just have to place my faith in God and trust Him that you know what, that you know what, this and and Linda for me, um, as I sat in that bed uh, the first night and Brenda told me what had happened, and when mm-hmm. I remember what my mother said, I said a simple prayer, and all I said was, you know, you know, Lord, just give me the strength to deal with whatever comes my way. And Linda, that was a change for me, uh, being a type really? A personality and this corporate executive. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I tell people mm-hmm. when I look back, I say to myself, it's surprising that you know what I would have asked before would have been, hey, give me the strength to walk again. Give me the strength to get back mm-hmm. to work again. Give me the strength mm-hmm. to play basketball again. I, I would, but I didn't ask for those things. All I said was mm-hmm. give me the strength to deal with whatever comes my way. And I think that's what I say. That was part of the surrendering, and that was part of the having faith and saying, you know, you know, God, I'll trust whatever you, I'm going to put my put my my trust in your hands, 
And I tell you, it was a calming effect, Linda, because all of a sudden the mountain didn't seem nearly as big. Um, because believe me, it the first day it seemed pretty large. But but the minute I was able to say, you know what, I'm going to trust the Lord, that mountain didn't seem nearly as big. And I tell you what it did, it enabled me to to focus on the things I could control, which is the work on my recovery. Wow, Mark. Wow. Um, Brenda, I want to get you to jump in to uh, just tell us um, what was it like for you to get that diagnosis um, or, you know, when the doctors told you his condition? Well, um, Mark has been a little um, humble as, as as well, and he had wasn't he was actually in the per, the to me perfect physical condition condition for someone um, our age at the at the time. As he stated, he loved sports. He was mm-hmm. um, at the top of his game and um, professionally with his, his partner and his um, company. They were doing extremely well, um, and mm-hmm. this was a this was a complete surprise. Uh, while he had been getting treatment for headaches or, or, or thought he was trying to find out what these headaches were, there still was no reason, um, a, spe- a specific reason for why he was having them. The strokes were, mm-hmm. the strokes were a complete surprise. Um, he was actually in the um, process of coaching our son's um, baseball team when he started um, having symptoms of the strokes. He even drove mm-hmm. to um, the store with our son to try to get a Mother's Day card because that's what his mind was focused on after the game. Um, and wow. he just continued to lose function of his body and determined that he would call, to, you know, to get help. So um, we got we rushed him to the hospital. Long story short, um, they, they he had a stroke, but they still didn't know the cause. Um, and while mm-hmm. I was in the hospital with him, thinking that he would be going home um, within a matter of days, he started to have other symptoms, and I noticed um, that things were changing, and we, you know, continued to ask for help, and uh, they took him down for some diagnostics and found that he was bleeding, and there was a lot of pressure on his brain, and that he needed uh, immediate surgery. So, mm-hmm. thank God we were in the right place at the right time, and the right doctor came along, not our doctor, but another doctor who just happened to see the um the results of the scans and took mm-hmm. um march to surgery came to me and said your um husband needs emergency surgery sign here um i'm going mm-hmm. to take over his case and um i'm not sure what the outcome will be but i will come back and let you know we'll do everything we can her words to me were he is in grave condition and anything is possible mrs moore we will do the best we can. And that, to me, was the most devastating word that I could have heard. Um, the word grave condition is rarely used um, in our profession unless it's almost hopeless. Uh, we try to use critical. We try to use other words that don't sound so devastating. And when I heard grave, I knew it was bad. So as a nurse, I, I clicked in and, and honed in on that word. But I will say to you, um, this was something that I know happened um, internally. I, I truly cried out. And, you know, you people say, I cried out 
and and just called upon the Lord. I absolutely did. And and it was something that was immediate and it was instantaneous and it was natural. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it sounded as blood curdling to others around me because our family was around. We had friends and family and, and loved ones to support. Um, but I mm-hmm. cried out and dropped to my knees, and this is um, the honest truth, um, and let mm-hmm. it go. Uh, and, and honestly, I felt a peace that I've never, ever experienced before, and I'm not sure that I've experienced on the same level again, that mm-hmm. I felt like there was a release, and I knew that my prayers would be answered appropriately. And, and whatever the Lord decided was the right thing, he would be able to strengthen us. Um, so there was a powerlessness but then a powerfulness right after that. And just um, the fear of the unknown was the most difficult, I think. But um, mm-hmm. knowing that we were in a good place, the right people to that God could direct, you know, their hands and their hearts, that's what I yeah. think makes the most difference to me. That that's a, That's a striking word that you said, you know, that, that powerfulness that came in the piece, you know, first it felt like you can't handle it, so to speak, but then that you got a powerful sense of peace. It's amazing that that actually can happen. It's palpable. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if our listeners out there are able to relate to what, what you both have described as moving from a shocking, totally unexpected diagnosis uh, when you're at the top of your game, uh, life success, good health, everything, and then a sudden traumatic event of a health crisis comes and somewhere fairly on the front end of that, you, you shift to your faith or your anchor of faith, and uh, Brenda, as you described, crying out to the Lord, and that you got this sense of peace. That's that's amazing. Um, I I often ask my guests about the role that faith played in their life during their challenge, and I think both of you have already answered that it was integral to you're being able to uh, at least uh, cope and to then go forward in into the challenge with, I'm sure, uh, continual stages before Mark actually started to recover. Yes. Um, yes. Say a word, if you would, about, you know, how faith was... Uh, a factor or played a role? Brenda? Um, You know, prayer and trust, uh, and as Mark said, turning it over to God was really um, important for us. Mark and I um, really didn't pray together um, prior to this experience. I think we learned Mm -hmm. to do that more. Um, And Mm -hmm. even during times when Mark was really unable to um, speak well because he, mm-hmm. you know, while there wasn't an awful lot of, um, of of a speech impediment, there was a time in which he actually was intubated and he was, you know, they were resting his brain. 
We learned how mm-hmm. to communicate in a different way and to pray together um, and mm-hmm. to be more o- obedient. We talked about those things, um, knowing that, you know, that a lot of this was out of our control. So the the word mm-hmm. acceptance, you know, was something that we um, learned and to integrate into our prayers and to talk to one another and our family about bringing the children in to um, a, a greater understanding, which was very important because they were, um, Janae was a very young woman and, and Marcus was a teenager at the time. Um, learning how to explain that to them was also important. So our faith was um, a factor and, and it was the center of our circle in order to be able to explain what had happened to dad and how we feel um, the outcome is going to be, whether it was what we hoped for or not. It was with, not in our hands mm-hmm. always, um, mm-hmm. but it was something that we knew we could pray for. Wow, I get it. Um, Brenda, I want to pose this to you uh, right here. If you were face-to-face with one of the listeners who's dealing with a serious health challenge of a family member, what piece of advice would you give them? What, what would you say to them? It's, it's, it's very important to be an encourager, um, to stand back and observe, to listen to what um, the health professionals are saying, to be an advocate um, for your loved one, to be in attendance as much as possible, if allowed to be at the bedside as often as possible, to accept help from others when they're offering it, sometimes to ask for help when others aren't seeing that you need That's important. Um, and for um, empathy to come into play, um, because we don't always know, and we certainly can't expect, express how someone else is feeling, but to be empathic and to try to figure out why a person might be saying or doing the things that he or she is doing as he or she is going through um, a challenge, to be able to um, try to put yourself in that person's place. Those are all important. Um, and to accept, as I said, the help of others and to help allow them to see with, with you and for you um, what might be going on because you also might be, because you're in the midst of a storm, you might not be mm-hmm. able to focus as well. So um, make sure mm-hmm. that others are around you to give you support. That support is critical. I, I would I would agree. It's critical. And, Mark, would you say that made a difference to your persevering, the kind of support that you got from Brenda and family and friends? Absolutely, Linda. Oh. One of the, the one of the phrases I use all the time back then was was I relied on the three Fs, my faith, my family, and my friends. And I think mm-hmm. the common thread among all three of those is is what I would tell people is if you're going through, don't try to go through it alone. As I told mm-hmm. you, when I when I first heard that diagnosis, I could tell you, Linda, the mountain certainly looked too big for me to climb, and it wasn't mm-hmm. until I placed my faith in God then that mountain didn't look nearly as large and I was able to focus on doing everything I could on my on, on my end to recover mm-hmm. uh, physically. Now, the other thing is relying on family and friends is absolutely important. 
you know, Brenda was wonderful. Um, and, and once again, she's being very modest. Um, as I went through this period when I was um, in the hospital for the six weeks, uh, Brenda mm-hmm. slept in my hospital room every night for six weeks mm-hmm. to make sure I was okay. And then when I went through the three months of rehabilitation, uh, we would leave. We lived up in the Reston area, and we were doing the rehab at Mount Vernon Hospital down near Alexandria. So we would drive from Reston to Mount Vernon three to four days a week, uh, probably about an hour drive, and I would be down there for three, four hours a day going through rehab. Brenda would sit through those rehabilitation sessions in the back room, wouldn't say a word, just sat there and witnessed me as I learned to walk again, tie my shoes, you know, all the things, and never said a word, but went through for three months of this, just sat in the back of the room, didn't say a word, and just endured this. And and I tell you, um, and that speaks to, we talked about family and friends, it's very, very important, mm-hmm. and I would tell you, anyone who's going through this, you know, do not try to go through this alone, lean on your faith, lean on your family, mm-hmm. lean on your friends, it makes an unbelievable difference. And I can assure you, I would not be sitting here today if it wasn't for the three Fs. It absolutely got me here today. This is one powerful story. I, I tell you, um, it reminds all of us that, you know, trials and severe challenges come to all of our lives. Uh, I can't thank you enough for being so open and so transparent today. I'm sure what you've shared uh, is giving someone out there listening a lot to reflect upon right now. And to our listeners, I want to say it's not that we are thinking absolutely, you know, some health challenge is going to come, but I hope you are taking from our guest, I mean the guest today, how you can cope and how you can be resilient if you or a friend uh, or your family is faced with a, a, a major health challenge. Mark, I want to say that uh, someone listening right now may be saying to themselves, uh, yeah, I can relate to what you went through, but right now I still feel like I'm by myself. I don't have the kind of faith you described. Well, I don't know how to start a relationship with Christ. What would you say to them? Mark. Yeah, yeah. Well, the first thing, um, yeah, I would always encourage people to, to try to find a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, so I always start there. But I would say, if you do not, just trust. Just, just step back. If you don't have faith, just trust and say, you know what? I, I don't know what's going on. And you know, Linda, it's funny because mm-hmm. all of us, and in, 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 you know, and certainly I can speak for me. Our mm-hmm. face gets challenged, and and while that first day, I remember what my what my mother told me. I will tell you, Linda. It was weeks later, as I was going through my rehab, and the first mm-hmm. I told you, Linda, I'm, I'm a Type A personality. So after mm-hmm. that first day of rehabilitation, remember I could not walk, and after the first mm-hmm. day of rehabilitation, I'll be honest with you, Linda. I was surprised day two I wasn't walking right, <laughs> and which is yeah. crazy, right? But yeah. that, that's how crazy I was, yeah. right? And as I was in the car lamenting what I perceived as my lack of progress, Brenda had to set me straight. And it was Brenda who, at that point, as we were driving back home to Reston, 
pull the car over as I was lamenting, hey, I'm not I'm not making the kind of progress I I think I should be making. <laughs> Brenda pulled the car over and said to me, said, Tony, you have no idea what the good Lord has in store for you. You don't know. Maybe he gave you the stroke because he wants you to show others you can recover. And Linda, mm-hmm. even with all the things I had gone through, you know, you know, sometimes our faith needs to be renewed. And mm-hmm. so I tell any listeners out there, you know, look, sometimes you got to trust. And and when Brenda, I needed that. And for me, at at that point, I said, you know what? She made a very good point. I go, you know, I, I just got to, I got to trust God, right? And I got to yeah. trust him. And I'm just going to sit back. And once again, we, we talked about surrendering daily. I'm going to trust him, and I'm a, and a, a, whatever comes my way, I'll deal with it. So for those people who don't have a relationship with Christ, I would say, well, just try it. Just, just trust. Just, just, just try to trust. Sit back and say, you know what? I don't know what's coming my way, but I'm just going to trust. Mm-hmm. And I think with that trust, I think faith will build, and, and then hopefully they will be able to establish a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I was Amen. just thinking that while, while Mark was talking that it's an opening of your heart, really. Um, when you feel at your lowest, you, you have to reach for something. Um, so you mm-hmm. open your heart, and hopefully there's someone around you that can be an, an encouragement. Mark also found um, some really help in gospel music. He he used that in in therapy a lot, um, and there were a few mm. songs that really um, resonated for him. And um, he he helped that helped him to um, move forward. And I also say that humor was a big um, therapy for us too. We didn't um, try to sit down and feel sorry for him or ourselves. We continued to be uh, to laugh and to have joy in our lives, even as sometimes the um, road looks looks a little bit rough. I have to say that Mark at one point at the very beginning could not even swallow food. He was being um, fed via tube, um, and we talked mm-hmm. about not, you know, being hungry and wanting to eat and, and chew, and, and how could we um, fool the uh, nurses and doctors into letting him eat? Uh, so things like that would make us um, laugh, and we talked, you know, we said things, and the kids would come and bring joyful um, noise to his hospital mm-hmm. room, and those were all encouragement. And when you are surrounded by people who have hope, then hope, you know, comes naturally, and then you can reach out and then find faith. And I think that it's important to also call upon um, the professionals. There are chaplains and there are people of faith um, and philosophy who can also um, bring that to you if you don't have that kind of relationship already. Very good point. Very good point. Thank you. Thank you, Brenda. Mm-hmm. What a meaningful conversation! Wow, I could go on. Um, let me let me ask Mark. Uh, health wise, how are you doing today? Health wise, I am fine today, and and that's a very good point, Linda. Um, and I think for for the readers and listeners to know that even though as as bad as it seemed back in two thousand seven, I am in excellent health today. And I would say, you know, by placing my faith in, in, in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, um, he's led me here today. So, Linda, I'm in excellent health today. I, I work out every other day. Um, I told you, um, it, it, and, and this is what I want the listeners to know. In May of 2007, I had that I had two strokes in May of 2007. And in mm-hmm. May of 2008, 
I ran and completed a 5K in downtown D.C. in 36 <laughs> minutes. That's, yeah, yeah, it's a sub 12 minute pace. Now, it's important for people to realize I had never ran in my life. Um, I played basketball, I played softball, but I was never a runner. And there's a difference mm-hmm. between playing basketball and running. But yet, mm-hmm. on that uh, one year, one year, and this is I, I didn't I, I didn't start walking until September, and didn't get on a treadmill until I think it was November. And it, but yet by May of 2008, I was running a 5K in down in downtown DC and completing it in 36 minutes. And I tell people, you know, I I, I thank God because that was a good Lord at work. And even that day, Linda, as we I didn't know what to expect when we went down to run the 5K, and we had about 50 of our family friends join us for for the event. Mm-hmm. And as we went down, we took a bus down to D.C. I found the bus as we pulled it. Pull into DC and get ready to um, um, get off the bus to, to to run the race. I simply closed my eyes and once again I said a simple prayer, and all I asked was just give me the courage to run the race. I didn't ask to finish. I didn't ask any any record time. I just 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 give me enough courage to run this race. And with 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 the good Lord's help, I was able to complete that race in 36 minutes. But I am in I'm in excellent health today. No health problems and. And which allows Brenda and I to to do some of the things we're doing in terms of trying to help others. Just as people help me, I want to help others. That's that's so beautiful that I could weep. I tell you um, that you're in excellent health today. That is an amazing praise report, uh, Mark. Thank you, and I am oh. I'm very thankful that your health has been completely restored. Um, I I want to invite right now our listeners to get in on this conversation. Um, I would love to hear what's come up for you as you've listened to this couple who are passionate philanthropists talk about uh, their journey through a huge health challenge. So what's on your mind? Where do you get the courage and support when you're going through tough times? Tell us what you do to be resilient or how you deal with health challenges. I want to open up the phone lines right now. I know we have some listeners who have been listening to the broadcast by phone, I think. But um, if you want to make a comment, ask a question, Share what's on your heart. Call us right now at 646-716-9397. That's 646-716-9397. As we wait for callers, um, I love that, you know, your story uh, comes full circle to the amazing kind of work that you're doing today through your foundation. Um, Mark, what are you enjoying most about this season of your life? Yeah, I think what I enjoy most is I'm now in, in a position where I can give back. And, you know, Linda, you know, I started in New York City working for Alf Anderson when I was 21, and I was fortunate enough with, with, with God's blessings to retire when I was 51, and for the first 30 years of my life, I was devoted to the corporate world. 
I got up at 7 o'clock in the morning and I came home at 7 o'clock at night. And what I really mm-hmm. like is that what I tell people at this stage, if the good Lord is going, will allow me to live another 30 years, I would like to do something different and I would like to give back. And that's mm-hmm. what we're trying to do with the foundation. We're trying to touch um, organizations that, that are near and dear to our hearts. I try to sit on boards, uh, as you mentioned at, at the beginning of the call, I sit on, I think, six different boards. They're all not-for-profit organizations because they need people who are willing to give their time and resources to help them succeed, and I enjoy doing that. So, And that's mm-hmm. what I enjoy at this point, as well as spending considerable time uh, with um, with my high school sweetheart and our children <laughs> and now a grandchild, which, which is um, – we 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 we're surprised every day and and thankful that we're sitting here um, basking in the glow of, of of a grandson. Oh, I can I can appreciate that. We've got some callers on the line. Let me go to caller at nine one nine two four four. Press one, and you'll be on live with us. Nine one nine area code two four four prefix. Press one and you're on live with us. Hello. Okay, I'm gonna leave your line open, but we're gonna move on to another caller. Caller at seven oh three with a six four six prefix. You're on the air, just press one. Brenda? Yes. Hi, this is Brenda Gaines. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for calling in. Yes. I want to just tell you and Brenda and Mark that this has been a phenomenal um, interview. And Mark and Brenda, I have enjoyed you all so much. And Brenda, I want to thank you for your service as a nurse, and I can really relate to you and Mark's story because um, for years my mother uh, was in and out of hospitals and comas and and various things where the doctor had told us that she would not survive. But I tell you, Brenda, just as you did, my family and I really leaned on our faith in God. And in the most insurmountable of circumstances where the doctor had told us to come home that she was not going to make it through the night, um, we just gathered in prayer and faith, and each time God pulled my mother, you know, out of the various comas, and I really want to tell you that it was really also the nurses that were surrounding my mother's bedside each and every time, because some of them really prayed with us, and so I thank you for your service, and Mark, I'm so thankful that you are doing better, but I just want to to tell you all that your story is very remarkable uh, in that, as my husband has said in our interview, is that you all have have seemingly gotten behind each other throughout your marriage. And uh, and I have a new daughter-in-law, and my son is recently married. And so I'm going to ask both of you all, what advice would you give to a newly married couple uh, with a new baby and starting out in their faith? Wow. Thank you, uh, Brenda, for, for sharing your encouragement, too. Um, but I think that we we also can relate to having a um, newly married couple and, and 
our family, our uh, daughter and son-in-law, love, L-O-V-E, because we don't say son-in-law. We love Gerald, so <laughs> he's our son-in-love. Um, we, we talk to them all the time, and the importance of um, faith and, and, you know, being together as a family is, is, is exceptional. We try to pray together. Um, and if they are new in their in their faith, they certainly um, can grow together, which is which is wonderful. But to rely on the experience and the um, I know the wisdom of older people who have been through life, I tell you mm-hmm. what, um, not much that um, there's not a whole lot that's new under the sun, and God has seen everything for sure because He's made it all. So we just remember that um, even us old fogies have a little to offer. So. <laughs> Um, make sure that you, you know, that as a younger person, that you go back to the people um, who have been through life and use that wisdom because um, that's important. And make sure that your circle is strong. Um, stand together. Mm-hmm. You're right. If you rely on one another, um, it really makes for the proper three-string braid. God in the center and the two of you braided together. Um, are really the strongest of all ropes. That is so true. And, I again, I, I thank you all so much. This has been so encouraging. I was so thankful that I had to, um, time to listen. So um, just God bless both of you all. And, Linda, thank you so much for what you all are doing, and you have a great day. Thank you thank so you, much. Thank you, Linda. We enjoyed Linda. talking with you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, caller at... 703-541 area code. You are on the air. Just press 1. And good afternoon. you got Lana here. How's everybody? Yes. Hi. Hi. How are Hello. you? Outstanding, outstanding. I tried to, <clears throat> excuse me, summarize about four pages of notes into uh, <laughs> some short questions. Uh, I don't know the exact Bible verse, but uh, the Lord speak to us, speaks to us in uh, still a silent voice, and but the impact of what is said is is like a thunderbolt, and that that's kind of how I feel right now, based upon the mm-hmm. conversation I've heard this morning from you and your guests there. Um, the, the questions uh, that I have, well, actually, I'll just ask one question. Uh, Brenda made a comment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess part of it was also Mark about surrendering continually. That was, I think they came from Mark. And the other mm-hmm. uh, comment made by Brenda was that uh, in order to uh, uh, get through the surgery that was about to occur uh, when they discovered the clot, uh, you felt uh, one way and almost instantaneously you felt relief. And I was just wondering if if you think that there's a way to tap into that, that like dynamically. It's uh, it, it was it was it was powerful. But uh, well, what are your thoughts about that? Well, you know, um, Lonnie, I think that what we discover with greater study and um, a stronger prayer life, which we are still developing and, and growing. I, I think that my understanding of the Word of God has grown, and I'm learning to tap into it by um, meditating on the Word as well as just meditating on um, how God has moved in our lives all throughout our lives. If you look back, you can um, remember things that 
would have been um, out of your control and certainly what the Lord did and stepped in. Um, so I'm working on um, keeping a journal and looking back. Um, Pastor Osbury has taught us about journaling um, and, and looking back at our, our experiences and over the years and over a particular year and ring, reminding ourselves where God stepped in. So that allows me to channel it more um, acute, acutely. And I think helping that to uh, be an understanding has, has helped me to realize that I am really not the one in control, as Mark has talked about um, very vividly. So that helps me. Okay. Beautiful. Okay, great. All right. Thank uh, you. Mark, you have any uh, input on that? Uh, you know, I, I think Brenda, uh, uh, I think, t- t- summed it up quite well. You know, the fact of the matter is, as, as, we, as we went through this process, you know, Lonnie, I think um, I remember several years ago, uh pastor gave a sermon, and he talked about that sometimes, you know, God has to yell um, to get our attention. And what I tell people is in 2007, that was God yelling at me to get my attention. And he had another purpose for me in my life. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we have to listen, you know. And everything, you know, sometimes when bad things happen, they're not necessarily bad. And so while I wouldn't okay. want to waste a stroke on anyone, yeah. the fact of the matter is what I tell people is it wasn't a bad day for me. Um, at the time, mm-hmm. it looked like a bad day. But as, as, I, as I've come to learn um, in, in the days and years since, it really, was, it, was a, it really was a good day. And it was Jesus touching, touching my life and letting me know that he had another purpose for me and he needed me to go in another direction. So, and sometimes we, need, we just need to listen. All right, great. Outstanding. I'm going to continue to uh, review. As I said, I've got about four pages of notes. And uh, But thank you so kindly for that uh, explanation. I appreciate it, and God bless you. And uh, rather than uh, take a lot of time with a lot of questions, I'll just say God bless you again. Thanks. God bless you, Lonnie. Thank you, brother. Okay. We have a caller at 919 919- Nine seven seven prefix. Caller, press one, and you're on live with us. Hello. Yes. Hi there. This is Julie Dawson. Um, I've been listening to the uh, podcast and have really just been blessed by uh, the guest. Um, I just wanted to uh, just share a quick comment. Um, and I just appreciate the guests talking about um, how it affected their children and their family um, because oftentimes uh, the children endure a lot of the emotional uh, effects of a parent's surgery um, or medical ordeal. So I just really appreciate you mentioning that. Um, My mom went through a huge medical ordeal in 2014, and I was 25 at the time, and my uh, younger brother was in college, and my old, older brother was working. Caller, are you still there? Hello? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, we can hear can you Can you now. hear me? Yes. Oh, okay, you yeah, all can hear me? Go ahead. Okay, 
I'm not sure where I dropped off, but I just wanted to just say thank you for talking a bit about how you dealt with the situation and how you shared it with your kids um, and the effect of the kids. Um, Because my mom went through a a medical ordeal in 2014, and my younger brother was in college, and at the time I was 25, and my older brother was, I think, around 27. But we all dealt with it, the emotions of it, differently. Um, But Mm -hmm. I I appreciate you talking about how how your kids handled that. Um, can you share a little bit more about um, maybe how your how your kids reacted to the news and how they were, uh, I guess, instrumental in your recovery and just their support? Yes. Uh, thank you for um, uh, mentioning that. Mm-hmm. And, and you, are, you are so right about making sure that you keep um, your, an eye on all people who are um, involved. Uh, as mm-hmm. I mentioned, our um, daughter was um, in um, a young adult and our son, um, a teenager, and of course, being there, there being an age difference, they treated it and, and related to the um, ordeal and the emergency very differently. Um, mm-hmm. Thankfully, we had a, a lot of family who came up. Uh, again, I must re- remind folks to try to tap in <laughs> on the support system as much as you as you can, because we had family who came excuse me, down from New York. We had friends who jumped in and um, helped to make sure that um, Marcus was able to get to school. Um, when I was staying with Mark, our daughter truly grew up and uh, right before our eyes um, and mm-hmm. took on a lot of responsibility, and I'm grateful to her for that because um, she was able to give the love that was um, necessary to her brother. They certainly sub- um, subsequently became closer in, an, in a very different way. And you just never know what um, God has in, in store and what the purpose is for a lot of things that change your life. Um, yeah. Thankfully, there were also other resources available to us, and we encouraged Marcus and Janae both to um, use them. We wanted to make sure that they understood um, that, you know, Dad was not doing well, but we really um, appreciated the care that he was being given, and we were honest with them. Um, and you have to, of course, deal with it on the level of understanding um, as far as their ages. But there were other professionals available to talk, you know, with the youngsters and young people. But keeping them close was important. They wanted to know what was going on, and we and try to make sure that we shared it um, appropriately. And they were there. They were at the bedside. They saw every. Thing. It was very, you know, difficult for them to see the tubes and all of that, but they were old enough to understand, and thankfully, as a nurse, I could try to explain what the different things were that were going on or why Dad looked certain ways, but it was helpful that they were available because I think that even when Mark was in that induced coma, he could hear them. People were coming to his room where allowable, and, to, you know, to know that the children were there and they were talking to him, and we sang and we prayed. We did all of that together, and mm-hmm. it was very, very important and therapeutic for us all. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much, caller. I'm going to try you. one last call. Thank you. I'm going to try one last call. This may have been someone who was just listening in. Uh, we have time just for another quick comment. Caller at 703 254 would you like to make a call, a comment or a question? 
Well, I, we served on a few committees together. We love you so dearly. But um, I, I really appreciate the the question because it is a challenge um, to work with teens, and I have to tell you that God will surely um, challenge us to do things that we are we don't feel equipped for, but He will equip us, um, and that's something that Pastor Osbury has taught us as well. Um, but l- working with the teenagers, I, I I think that we try to be as transparent as we can with them. Um, and let them know that where we from once we've come, because this this where we stand now does not did not happen automatically. It was not magical. We worked really hard to get there, and we talk about that very openly. Um, but to share some of the even hard times with them, let them know that this is not new. Um, that the things that they experience are might be different because time has changed. But you know the the world hasn't changed that so so desperately. But I have to say that um, our youth minister um, is a wonderful leader, and we try to follow his example. But what we come to each time that we're with these young people, what we come to uh, understand is that you just have to live as an example. Um, and to we, we try to tell them that we are really just trying to walk in Christ's um, footsteps and to live like Christ. Um, and we just really follow the example of our um church leaders and our ministers and try to um, let them know that, hey, we're flawed, we're flawed people and um, we're learning along with them. And, we, you know, whatever, like I said, I can learn from anybody. So a lot of the times we are listening to the young people and learning stuff at the same time. Oh, my, for the first time, I'm going to have to say we have to wrap up because we are out of time. It has been a privilege to have you as my guest today. Thank you to every caller. What you shared will impact and inspire many. I knew it would. Um, We just are grateful to have had you as our guest. And ladies and gentlemen, please join us next broadcast, February 23rd, right here at 12 noon. Until then, stay blessed.